Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. Today we have a very special episode planned for you because this is the first episode of Season 2. It's been a long time since we released some content, but now Dice Talk is back and we are ready to provide you with a consistent schedule where we can give you brand new episodes every other week. We're also adding some new content such as live streams and collaborations with some other podcasts because we are now very proud to announce that Dice Talk is part of the Majestic Goose Network. So make sure you go check that out and check out all the awesome shows that Majestic Goose has for you. What makes today's episode even more special than usual is today we don't have a guest. But instead, we have a new co-host who will be joining us on Dice Talk from here to the foreseeable future. So without further ado, let's get into it on Dice Talk. All right, I am so excited about today's episode because uh, Gerundu is finally joining us as our new permanent co-host. Uh, Gerundu, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners, tell them who you are, um, your connection with like Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing games, and just you know, kind of let us know why you're on this podcast. Okay. Uh, well, hello, I'm Gerundu. Um, you might know me better as um, Silas Lancaster in uh, Roll for Weird. I have sort of like a, a lapsed returning player. Um, I played a lot of 3.5 in my ute, so to speak. Um, but uh, And then I had like 10 years off of not playing any games at all. And then came back in sort of incidentally through listening to uh, actual play podcasts um it sort of reignited my uh, desire to play again and uh, being a a man in my 30s it's probably easier to reach out across the uh, the internet through the ether to find like-minded people um so that's basically i sort of joined the halfway to heroes discord hung out a lot with them played in some um patreon games on some twitch and then sort of like bluffed my way into being a podcaster <laughs> so <laughs> so here i am yeah that's that's basically my story um i hope i can provide you know some some infight in, insights i should say not in fights uh, i'm hoping we'll manage to keep it civil between us jeremy um but yeah i'm hoping that i can you know add my uh two cents so to speak for sure i'm totally excited because i know you know, we've been playing, like you said, this summer, a lot of online games, especially with the things that have been going on around the world lately. Yeah. And we're spending so much time at home and, and you're really, you know, a lot, I feel bad for people that don't have hobbies because they're not like having fun at home. They're probably just watching TV and they're getting sick of their Netflix yeah, or bored. whatever. But luckily for people like us, even in these trying times, we can, you know, go online, find Dungeons and Dragons games, meet new people, connect and make new friends. And I think that's one of the really cool things about uh, Dungeons and Dragons is that you can just play online and like there's this ever growing community and it's just getting even more and more popular. It seems like, um, but you know, I've played in a couple of games with you. Uh, you've DM for me, I believe I've DM for you. We've played alongside each other multiple times as characters. And I think definitely just like the laughs uh, that you've given me personally <laughs> and like the ridiculous things you come up with and your awesome characters. 
I think you'll have plenty to add to the show. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, likewise, uh, it's always a pleasure. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned playing Silas Lancaster. So yeah. for those of you that don't know, uh, Jerundu and I are both on another podcast called Roll for Weird. And we play um, characters on that show. And I play Shadow, who is some, like, edgelord asshole, basically. And he is what's called the Initiate, uh, because this is for a Monster of the Week podcast, which is another tabletop role-playing game. Why don't you tell them a little bit about Silas and kind of, like, what his character is like? Well, Silas is um, an 80-some-year-old man and has been since 1968, uh, when he was turned against his will into... uh, a vampire. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he rather speaks like this. I uh, model models the voice on a little bit of uh, you know classically trained British actors. Um, put the gravelly inflection for an old man, but um, being something of like um, a vintage horror film buff, um, I kind of had the idea for him. Sort of, what if we had this monstrous character with all the the powers that that entails, but he's really frail <laughs> instead of being this ethereal, um, beautiful, sort of unholy creature. He's just a, a kindly old man who has turned into <laughs> this ravenous, uh, undead beast. He, um, he does certainly have his dark side, but he's, you know, I think at heart he's motivated by sort of loyalty to his friends and families. Um, and he tries to keep his, uh, murderous impulses in check most of the time uh he's successful in that <laughs> i like to think he only attacks people who really deserve it <laughs> they've been pretty shitty people these <laughs> all the people he's bitten so far have been really bad so and doesn't he like try his best to avoid uh drinking blood from humans like did you say he has like a rabbit farm or something or he raises rabbits he, that's right yeah that sort of came about from narrative necessity really um that's one of the good things about role playing is just the sort of the improvisational uh nature of it sometimes um how you just say something off the cuff and it um sort of spins out into something that sort of defines the character um but yes he keeps uh (laughs) he keeps a large population of rabbits um has a sideline in manufacturing things like rabbit pies and lucky rabbit's feet um to sort of cover up the fact that he drinks them like Capri Suns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's, I th- as I say, I think you pull, you pull inspiration from different things, sort of when creating the backstory, but with Monster of the Week, so much of the backstory and the interpersonal relationships that you have is generated on the fly as, as you know, in your, in your session, session one. Um, and I think that's something that appeals to me. <laughs> quite a lot about that game um in particular just because you establish these quite sort of serious um uh deep relationships like at stage one and then they sort of blossom the more you play those characters the, the more you sort of pull from those um shared experiences and uh, create shared narrative world that really um you know is different in a lot of ways from uh from D&D where it's more sort of structured in in the DM's favor. Yeah, it is definitely different in the mechanics. And then you also so you said Silas got turned in 1968, right? Mm-hmm. So our listeners are thinking that's kind of like 
modern. And if you haven't played Monster of the Week, so it, it does usually take place in modern times or somewhat modern times. Um, and it's like a realist. It's realistic in the in the sense of the setting is realistic or historical or wherever you want to set it. It's you, but like I was saying, it's usually like sets take place right now. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, like Scooby-Doo or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Supernatural where it's the majority of the world doesn't really believe monsters are real. And then you're part of a group. Usually you're some unfortunate individuals or some terrible house guests that end up getting involved in like, kind of finding out that certain monsters might exist or certain creatures. And so for our listeners out there, I just wanted to kind of put that like, because I know Monster of the Week is just now kind of slowly gaining popularity. Yeah, it's still pretty niche. Um, you know, yeah, like for me, I only heard about it from the Adventure yeah, Zone, same. which is an extremely popular podcast. And then our little group picked up on it. So it's fun in that it is like a little twist like that. Like you said, the mechanics are a bit different. The setting is different, um, but it still has all the same elements that I think, at least that I like about role-playing games in general, you know, you're rolling some dice, you're making some characters, you're making decisions. And at the end of the day, the creeper keeper, which is the dungeon master, or the game master is telling you whether or not you succeeded and, you know, explaining to you what happens next. And, and to me at the end of it, it's just like, it doesn't matter what system I'm playing. I'm just like, you're telling a story with friends. You're kind of like contributing to this adventure and it's just really fun to see what people come up with. And I'm sure everyone that's played before any any uh, tabletop game knows how fun it is to kind of purposely say something to poke a little fun at another character or to kind of like egg on the DM or something. And like you said, it could be a really serious character, but you don't have to play serious the whole time. The things you say and the way you act can add some comedy to it. And that's a, a lot of what we do on the Roll for Weird uh, podcast, yeah. I would say. And I, I mean, the other thing I would say is that this system in particular, I monster of the week really lends itself to um podcasting just by its very nature it's uh episodic format basically i mean the clues in the title monster of the week you solve a mystery you confront this monster and whether that takes you know one or one five hour session or uh <laughs> two chopped up three hour sessions or whatever i mean that's still sort of like that's like kind of your episode so to speak and you sort of go from scenes within that episode. Um, I mean, we've done everything. We fought mimics or not mimics, but like changelings. Yeah. We've, uh, we're hunting down some vampire, some low level vampires at some point, or we thought we were at least we were at Chili's at some point. We watched American idol. We went to a haunted ha or a haunted hotel. I mean, we're all over the yeah. place. Yeah. And the, t the tonal shift between some of those episodes. Wow. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you should listen to us anyway on that, <laughs> just to squeeze a little plug in there. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, and that is also part of the Majestic Goose podcast network that we are now a part of. Um, so you played Silas, a little bit of background for my character from Roll for Weird. I play Shadow, and Shadow doesn't fuck around. Um, essentially, my goal with Shadow, it's not that I, it's not that I think he's cool or the way he acts is cool. It's yeah, kind of like- He thinks he's cool. He thinks he's cool, and I think it's hilarious. And so I do purposely make him over the top, and I, I do feel like he's so extreme that it is comedic, that it does provide a little bit of comic relief with just how, like, let's go out there. Like, they're not going to stop me. Um, but, yeah, Shadow's just kind of like this young guy, like 23. He is, uh, like I said earlier, the initiate. He is part of a secret, like, organization called the um, Order of Horus, and... 
his family is basically like, like once again, think supernatural. He's like part of this family that's been like trained generation after generation to fight these creatures that go bump in the night so that other people don't have to, so that the world can continue to live on in ignorance and bliss and think the monsters aren't real and stuff. And so that's kind of his uh, background. And, you know, he was just kind of like that kid with the, it's like, he's always wearing a trench coat and he's always smoking a cigarette and he just literally carries like a sword under his trench coat, but it's like 2019 or 2020 or whatever. So it kind of looks scary as shit. Um, but I feel like we've talked uh, kind of a lot about Monster That's of the true. Week in the, the last few minutes here. So let's get to what a lot of our listeners are probably looking for. Let's start talking about Dungeons & Dragons. So we already kind of talked a little bit about characters, but the focus of this episode is going to be what do we think makes a good character? What makes a character fun? And this is playable characters as well as NPCs. And the reason I chose this topic is because I think it's it'll tell a lot about us. It'll give our listeners, like, it'll let them get to know us a little bit when we can tell them what kind of characters we like or what's important to us. And then same with you. Like, they can learn more about you and your play style and kind of your opinions um, through kind of this topic. So, man, I became friends with you because of, you know, one game where you were playing some crazy shiny boy centaur. So why don't we start with that? Because that is one of the most ridiculous characters I've ever saw ever. And it's also one of my favorite characters. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about um, Sir Reginald uh, Fetlock Smythe. Um, yes. A returning. I've, well, you've been in multiple games with him too. He's very, po- he's very popular. Uh, by, by request, he, he comes back quite a lot. Um, <laughs> Reggie kind of just came about from the idea that this is like contrary to how I normally build characters. I, he came, he came about just because I wanted to basically give Adam the DM a hard time. Um, I originally just thought what would be like the most awkward sort of creature for sort of getting around dungeons and um, climbing things and swimming and just generally like doing anything but running in a straight line and hitting things so um yeah so centaur came to mind once i had that i kind of latched onto the idea of a knight being his own steed and then from that i was like well that's a got to be a either a paladin or a fighter so i went with paladin and then took oath of the crown so he's very um obsessed with his nobility and the the status of things and uh and that sort of thing but then also because i decided because he was a a horse and also because i had some dump stats that um he was going to be not very not the brightest boy but he's um very kind and very charismatic. So he's, he, um, he doesn't understand what it is that he worships. He just knows that it's the, he calls it the shiny boy, the shiny boy. Yes. Shiny boy will help us in this time of crisis. And yeah, he calls upon the shiny boy who lives, who lives in the good place in the sky, um, to help him. Uh, because he he just doesn't have the capacity to to know really anything more about what his god is or understand it. He just worships it. But being so big and friendly um, and st- extremely strong, I think he's got like nineteen strength or something. He's <laughs> and it was only uh, like level four, right or five. Yeah, in fact, no, he had twenty strength. In fact, yeah, he was an absolute beast. So, uh, and then I. I think it's something like 16 charisma um, as well. So uh, his two twin pronged attack with Reggie is first 
try and make friends with something. Uh, and if that doesn't work, divine smite it until it's just a greasy smear on the ground. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I say, I mean, that whole thing just sort of came around from wanting to, like a single concept of wanting to be an awkward character. But the, the most crucial thing about playing any character is that it's not necessarily the concept. It's your willingness and level of comfort to stick to that concept. And, um, you make a character great by being able to inhabit that personality. For instance, if you created this edgelord character that was just going to be going around saying and doing horrible things and make that makes you personally as a player feel like a shitheel, you're not going to have any fun playing that character and it's going to come through in your performance um, and general gameplay that you're just not having any fun. Um, I think part of that comes with experience um, because the more that you role play, the more you um, throw yourself into these roles. And like I say, it has to be, you have to be willing to do that. Um, The more comfortable you are being silly the better that you're, you know, the more fun you're going to have role playing and, and the more fun it's going to be for other characters to interact with you. And whether you're being a dick or being a good boy, (laughs) um, the other players will, you know, appreciate that you're sort of appreciate the general tone of your performance. If you're clearly having a good time that unless you're being, you know, outright offensive or whatever, but um, there's definitely, you know, the spaces, the space in parties for all kinds of different interpersonal conflicts, as long as it comes from, you know, um, a place of wanting to tell a story together and not just to be disruptive or to stop other people having fun. Um, I like just as a small tangent, I like what you said about like, you have to give yourself permission to be silly kind of, and not yeah. really, and that's when you're really going to do well. And I think that's like, for, I don't know if you've ever um, done any like stage performance, like I've been in a play or something, but I've only been in like one or two, but still like, I remember you almost have to tell yourself like, fuck it. Like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks. And then I'm going to just go in there and do what I had in mind. And mm-hmm. then it ends up being really good because you're not worrying about it as much and, yeah because you're um, not seizing up and just going oh god oh i can't do yeah, that uh, no one's judging you really they're, they're just watching a show being entertained and once you can yeah exactly that. and you know even if you're not doing it for a podcast or a stream like just in your home game you, you will enjoy yourself more if you feel comfortable playing that character um so i mean if you're starting out maybe you want to start with something that um more closely reflects your true personality um and a lot of people do. I mean, I know I played a the first sort of truly memorable character I played was a, a, a sorcerer um, who smoked a pipe and just basically wanted an easy life. And I found that easy to play. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but as time's gone on, I, you know, I take, take on these d- different roles and I feel more comfortable doing it. I mean, I think my performance background comes from music. I was a singer in a band for, um, for years. Um, so you, I, but again, I think this comes from, you know, you, you could take this from, you know, many, any kind of walk of life or anything that you do that gives you confidence. The more you do it, the better, the more comfortable you'll feel. So maybe, you know, if, as I say, if you start, if you're just starting out, you might find it easier to sort of play true to yourself. But as you get more experienced, you might sort of see, well, you know, I kind of know what it's like to play myself. I wonder what it's, you know, you can seize all the interesting aspects of people's personalities that, you know, you can encounter in everyday life and think, I wonder what it'd be like to be as cocky as 
that bastard over there or you know i wish i had that kind of swagger or you can this gives you a platform to do that i think a really good way i think what what would be really beneficial for everyone playing in the game is if and i don't no one should be forced to do it obviously but i think it, Everyone would really benefit by DMing once or twice, um, mm-hmm. trying because you really get to a point where once you're playing all these NPCs, you want to do well and you want to be entertaining and you really want to like play into these different characters. And I think once you've done that a few times, when it comes back to just playing your character, you it's easy. Like you're like, I only have to play this yeah, one character. One thing. I can yeah. just focus on this one character. And I think. A really good way to do that for me is character voices. Not everybody likes to do voices mm-hmm. and not a lot of people have a lot of range of voices. Maybe, or maybe they don't, you know, honestly, a lot of people think they're bad at voices and I think they're better at it than they believe they are, but it helps you get into character. And, you know, some people, I have friends who don't do voices and they talk in a normal voice and they seem to be having fun just fine. So if that's what they want to do, that's, you know, it's on them. They can do that. But I feel like when you do get in a character voice, you it allows a switch in your head to be turned on to mm-hmm. focusing on the like the background and the inspirations and the and the ideals and the bonds of your character. Cause you can say, like, okay, I think he's gonna walk over, you know, Shadow's gonna walk over to the door and say, All right, I'm coming in, you have one second. You know what I mean? Like I'm switching mm-hmm. like my demeanor is I'm putting myself in that like mindset for that moment. And I, I think when you switch between narrating in your regular voice to going into character voice to speak, it really is like a switch. Like I just turn it on and it's really easy for me to play in character that way. Do you always do voices? It seems like you do from the games I've played with you. Have you- I'm lucky. I'm one of those frustratingly lucky people that I can just do voices. Yeah. Um, like uh, I'm lucky, but I would say even like a minor change can like, or, or just like a mindset or some, some, something to work yourself into that character. I mean, I've used like a lot of phrases or like keywords and stuff that sort of help get into that accent or a different kind of voice. I'll be driving to D and D night and like just saying things to myself in my car, practicing singing like a song in that accent to really try to get used to just saying anything. Absolutely. But I mean, you don't, as I say, if you're not, you know, sort of, you don't feel as confident doing that. Um, even just sort of something like thinking about, if you've got a really serious character, you just sort of start pulling a really serious, scowling all the time and assuming that kind of aggressive hunched posture or whatever, that will carry through into how you speak. It's like, if you think about, I don't know, if, if you've ever worked in a call centre or something, they always sort of tell you to sort of sit up and to smile and to sort of be breezy, even though the other person can't see you because that carries through into your voice. So your physical demeanor and your your sort of posture and the way that you stand, I mean, you can think about those kind of aspects and that will transfer itself through through your voice and sort of how you're sort of thinking about this. Oh, I'm going to to get that guy. What's he going to do? Like hunching over, angry, aggressive, scowling. A friend of mine, he just does like this outrageous cartoon voice in the Numenera game that I run. Um, he's like, hello, I am General Kral, and just talks like that. And that's fine. It's kind of, it, it's perfect for how he characterizes that, um, that's, that character. I mean, it's, if you were to walk down the street and you saw someone going, hello, I am General Kral, please point me to the nearest bus station, you would laugh your ass off at them. But like, you're inhabiting this kind of fantasy make-believe world where, why shouldn't that be perfectly reasonable? Um, you know, we're all telling a story and however you 
best to get um, into character or how, whatever makes you feel comfortable is fine. You're the one pulling the strings. Um, at the end of the day, you're the one with creative control over it. And if that's what makes you happy playing that character, then that's what you should do. But yeah, as I say, like minor tweaks, just things like how you carry yourself or if you just pitch your voice up or down a little bit, you don't have to be throwing in completely random accents and uh, doing different things like that. You know, you could just pitch yourself a little higher or a little lower and just sort of carry yourself in a different way. And that, that will help, I think. One thing I really uh, admire about your voice acting ability is you're able to do all these different dialects of different places like in England and in Europe and stuff. And I think that's awesome because it's easy for me to like attempt to do like an English accent and attempt to do like an Australian accent or something like that or, you know, French or whatever. That's easy. But it's not easy for me to choose different American dialects. I can do like three. I can do like you're super like it's almost offensive like kind of <laughs> southerner redneck voice i can do like yeah, i could do that one just too. my normal <laughs> voice i can talk like uh like a way up north like getting towards even close to canada and like new england and stuff but i'm always impressed at your like range of different voices um within the same kind of region that that's always something that's impressed me well thank you i would just put that down to watching a lot of movies really um i'm a bit of a cinephile or at least i was uh earlier in my life i've watched a lot of you know there's a lot of cultural cross-pollination it's a bit more one way coming from there to here in england um so we get a lot of american tv and uh, and films and stuff come over here yeah we only get the bbc if it's not on the bbc i probably haven't heard of it yeah exactly and that's just what they think will sell well over there that's just what they broadcast mainly uh, earlier you said it's almost like a performance and you know playing online with people i know there is there is a definitely a certain charm to having your friends over in person and having some snacks and a few drinks and hanging out with your friends but playing online i like it a lot um i don't know if it's a combination of elements like the people i'm playing with are going out of their way to play online so they're so engaged because they're passionate about it uh more so than your friends that you managed to talk <laughs> into trying it and then they're stuck or like I don't know, or, or like the fact that nobody talks over each other. I mean, you know, sometimes you do, but not on purpose. Like it's, there's no side conversations. I know at my house, like my friends, I mean, they're into the game, but they're talking about, you know, Oh, Hey man, did you want on Tuesday, we're going camping. Did you want to go? And it's like not their turn and stuff. And it's fine. Cause they're having fun. It's not up to me to like, Hey, stop hanging out with your friends. But I don't know online. It's, it's really nice. I feel like you move through the story at a really fast pace. You, there aren't side conversations when someone speaks up, they're generally in character or at least making a joke that's somehow contributing to the overall uh, entertainment value of yeah. whatever you're doing. And I keep saying that like in the idea of having an audience and that's just because when we play a lot of times, it yeah, is we do have an audience, audience. Yeah, and absolutely. I kind of like that. I don't know. It almost, it's almost like you're free. It's almost like you're everyone's so much more committed to really being in character and trying to produce a something that's worth listening to or watching um, and, and you're doing that for the audience, but really doing it for everyone else too. Like it's more entertaining and more fun for everyone there because everyone's engaged and everyone's focused. And earlier you're saying when it's really nice to try to get into your character, um, and kind of have like that switch where you can like really get into them for that murder mystery that I had. Um, well, we played that first murder mystery, the murder on the Eberron express. And then mine was, uh, mine takes place on a ship and it's the sirens cry. And in both those situations, 
you really are truly the real player is suspicious of other players. So you really get into character because you're seriously like, no, I think we should search your room or I definitely don't trust you. Like you're not playing it. You are invested at that point. And I think the murder mystery I wrote and the murder mystery that was written by that other author on the DMs the, uh, guild on the Eberron express really are really good at getting you into character. Cause you truly care about what's going on and no one's sharing any metagame stuff since we're not really a team. Everyone is possibly a suspect. And I, I don't, if any of you have not played a murder mystery, uh, D and D game or tabletop game, just go try to find one. Cause it was, it was a whole different experience. It's a whole different experience. I strongly recommend it. Yeah, it's really fun. I think you have, cause, cause you have a motivating factor built into the mechanics of the, the game. Um, you know, you sometimes, I guess in, in regular play, I mean, this comes down to DMing as well, but sometimes in a regular game, you sort of think, well, we've got to go off and get the precious ruby of Quasar Qua from the tomb of Jimbo Jambo or whatever, but like, why? Why do I care? But in this, so you've got, you've got essentially prefabricated characters. You know what your role is in that situation. And especially if you're the murderer, you have like even ex added motivation to get out of there and um, get, get off, so to speak. Yeah. I wonder what that feeling's like when you get that message that says like, Oh, by the way, you're the murderer. Yeah. I, I've not been the murderer yet. I would, uh, <laughs> I would quite like to be, I think, I think I'd do a good job, but, um, and you know, not to say anything about my, um, my real life. Um, I'm, I'm not a murderer. You can't prove anything. Um, <laughs> But yeah, as I say, I think you'd, it helps as you, it helps just because you do have those motivating factors already built in and you have a predefined role, um, in that scenario. So, um, a lot of the sort of intellectual legwork is already done for you. You just then have to sort of work within those parameters. And a lot of people might not like that. I mean, yeah. I can see where, especially someone that's new to tabletop role playing, they might be like, well, it was only appealing to me because I got to play that tabaxi rogue I imagined, or I got to take my elf wizard I've been playing for nine years on Skyrim and kind of do something new, sure. but like play it in the spirit of my character I've loved so much. But like you said, I think it's kind of nice sometimes to get a character. Here's their ideals. Here's their stats. Here's their class. Here's like what they're good at, what they're not. This is what they care about. And uh, kind of like going back to being like on, on the stage or something, you get, you have a focus. You like have freedom in being restricted it's yeah absolutely like, when someone's like you can do anything you want it's almost overwhelming but when i say you can make any character you want but the rule is they have to be human and it's a modern society so what do you what kind of character do you see yourself creating it's like the restriction gives you something to work yeah, with absolutely. and then you can really develop something from there so when, when a game gives you these pre-made characters I don't know. Some people may not like it, but I I, I, I like it occasionally. I'm, I don't want that for every. No, game. but but by the same token, um, these murder mysteries are like what two hours? Like they're time limited. So yeah, mine. Yeah, about two two or three. Yeah. Hours. So I mean, they're, they're you know they and it's a it, by its very nature it's a one shot. So you know we're not saying like run a whole campaign with a character you you didn't pick and you don't like. It's just fun to try. And I guess that's part of, you know, we've been lucky in that we've been able to play in not just a lot of games, but a lot of different kinds of games um, through doing um, one-shots. Um, 
with uh, Adam and the uh, one shot onslaught um, streams, patron streams. Um, it sort of freezes up to try different characters because they're not, they're not connected by a, conti- a continual narrative. So if you're in a campaign, obviously you want to have agency over your character, but for the sake of three hours shits and giggles, like you would play a, a board game or something like that, you're like nobody gets Colonel Mustard and goes, right, well, fuck that. I wanted to be Professor Plum, but we're going to play something else. Uh, it's just, it just think of it in those terms. It's a game, you know, like, like a one-off game uh, that you play through and it's it gives you an you know you provided with an in automatically for that character you know something about them already so with very little setup you can just be getting straight into essentially a a, a role-playing game with um rules as written in front of you um so i think that they've got the they've got that going for them too yeah definitely and you mentioned so you mentioned one shot onslaught and i just wanted to Really quick, honestly, give a big shout out to the One Shot Onslaught podcast. That's also part of the Majestic Goose podcast network. And a big shout shout out to Adam DeWeese because Adam has become, I've become over the last two years, getting closer friends with him. That's how I've met you, Jerundu. Mm-hmm. That's how I've gotten involved with a lot of these live Twitch streams on the One Shot Onslaught Twitch page. And that's how I've, you know, we've managed to get this podcast uh, back up and running for season two. And now we're part of this network. And for anyone that hasn't listened, please, please go out there. Check out One Shot Onslaught. They go on dmsguild.com, which is a website where uh, people can publish their own campaigns. You can do it for free. You can make a little bit of money. Um, It's allowed me to publish content and start getting out there and kind of starting to write some D&D campaigns. Uh, it's like an amazing website that really helps people get heard. And then One Shot Onslaught goes on here and finds these campaigns. And it's like a really good way to spotlight uh, some of these indie campaigns and to spotlight some of these creators. And then the content's amazing. They have a, con- a consistent cast of characters that comes back and they do these one shots, which, you know, broken into a podcast, take three or four episodes usually. But it's it's super, super good. And um, they have like a Discord page where... I've connected with so many people on there. I've made so many new friends. I've played in so many new games. Um, and I just really wanted to take this moment to like just spotlight the One Shot Onslaught podcast, the One Shot Onslaught Discord page, and the DM for One Shot Onslaught, which is um, Adam DeWeese. Just go check it out. You can find information about all those things at MajesticGoose.com. If you go on there, there's going to be links to all our shows and stuff. And I know this is kind of like a little mini a promo segment but it was just you mentioning it just made me feel like i it's we really need to give credit where credit is due absolutely i mean i've seen i've seen comments on streams and stuff we've done where people have been like oh we've been we've been paid to hawk the discord absolutely not i mean like we wouldn't have met had it not been for the discord you know it's brought a lot of us together um put us in these different projects and um you know we're made genuine friendships with with people so um it's a you know really we're a really welcoming friendly community and um as i say it'd be um, be nice to have people join us you know uh we're not we're not being paid in any way for for to recommend it it just has made a positive change to my life and um it could yours too but so you know that's it not to sound culty about it <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have a lot more to talk about um, when it comes to kind of playing characters and kind of getting into what interests us and really inspires us. But before we talk about that, let's just take a break to thank our sponsors. 
This episode of Dice Talk is brought to you by ShadowMarketPins.com. The Shadow Market is an awesome website where you can buy high-quality, custom-made, hard enamel pins that you cannot find anywhere else. The Shadow Market focuses on pins and stickers that often put a twist on popular characters and geek figures such as superheroes, monsters, aliens, anime characters, and other pop culture icons. The Shadow Market also has options for character commissions for Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games. The Shadow Market even offers a monthly subscription box where you can receive the newest custom pins every month for an extremely affordable price. These custom pins are limited edition, and they often sell out very quickly. So make sure that you go to shadowmarketpins.com and check out this month's pins before it's too late. Once again, that is shadowmarketpins.com. Check it out and enter the shadows today. You know, earlier you were talking about how people approach making their characters in different ways. Um, And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a completely original idea. Other times, a lot of the time, I feel like you're inspired by something. It might be small. And then this idea grows from there. And something I kind of feel like you do sometimes is to base a character off history or off of real life or off of a nonfiction inspiration. Um, Can you like speak on that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me say there's absolutely nothing wrong with cribbing from any source. Um, no matter what, even if you think you're just like wholesale ripping something off, you're always going to end up putting your unique spin or take on that character. If you want to play Grey Dwarf, uh, Dutch Matrix from Predator, like maybe I did, um, that's absolutely fine. You know, that's, that's cool. And if that helps you, uh, you know, if that gives you a sense of enjoyment and, and, you know, desire to play that character. I'm all for it. From non-fiction sources, now, I think it sort of helps just generally to think of a character as a real person. So, um, no matter how ridiculous they are, like Reggie is a big stupid horseman, but he has feelings and he has motivations and he has things that he cares about. And and he yeah he likes he likes the shiny boy, and he likes his friends and he likes oats and you know but even with just like a couple of points like that, it's some it's, it's that's a handle for you to sort of grab and go right well this is what something that my character wants and uh, this is how this is what motivates my character they're not just this entity that exists in total isolation and has never interacted with anybody or anything before they're not you know they're not just acting out of impulse or Maybe they are, if that's, you know, your particular character hook, that's fine. Um, but because we mainly play in like a a fantasy, a medieval-inspired fantasy setting, consideration of what life was like for people in medieval times and how those objects and things were used. So, I mean, we talk about attacking things with a longsword and shield and wearing full plate armor and all this kind of stuff. And like knowing more about what that is actually like, whether, you know, if you're lucky enough to have access to a a suit of full plate and you can clank around in that, by all means, go for it. That will give you a good insight into what it's like to actually do that. Um, From those of us who I assume is the majority who don't have that luxury, the luxury um, of owning a full set of full plate armor, the luxury of yeah, and a and a a poleaxe and a a charger and a lance and all that. Yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> throw, throw our fear with you. You mean you don't have your own suit of plate mail? Oh. But yes, um, there are lots and lots and lots of good uh, YouTube channels uh, if you can't be asked to find out literary sources to read. Um, I like things like, I, I'm not being paid at all. These are just some ones that I actually genuinely watch and enjoy. Um, Modern History on YouTube, uh, Scholar Gladiatoria, uh, Shadiversity, and The Metatron in particular. They all sort of like have... Um, more academic takes on how certain weapons and armor and military formations and things like that were used and watching those um, and the consideration of these, you know, that historical people, even if they didn't know as much as we know now in terms of like their scientific development, they weren't stupid and they did things for a reason and they could, they could observe cause and effect. Um, so as I say, I think that, being able to frame those people, real historical people, as, you know, thinking, breathing, shitting, fucking people like we all are, can sort of help when you're putting that into like a fantasy context. Um, because if you're, li- you're basically living the life of a medieval peasant living in a village who's become, you know, the blacksmith boy who becomes king or whatever then knowing a little bit about what it would be like to live in a medieval village or to be a, a blacksmith or to, you know, be trained in the use of arms and armor and that sort of thing can really, really help. And because it's history, there's almost limitless sources that you can, you can look to. And maybe not all of them will be um, 100% accurate, but at least you'll be getting an idea. Um, and I, I find that, I mean, some people would tell me like, keep my, keep history out of my fantasy or whatever. But I think if you're, if you're operating under the assumption that, you know, this is a medievally inspired world, you're daft not to look at medieval sources, um, and analysis of those to sort of help. And the same thing goes for any, you know, time and setting. Um, with Silas, for instance, like knowing that he was born in the 1880s and served in the first world war, and lived through, you know, was turned into a vampire um, 20 years before I was actually born in real life, I had to do a bit of reading about <laughs> what things that were going on and dates and points of reference, and it really helped um, mould that character into sort of a, a realised um, entity and not just an abstract sort of, oh, he's an old man, vampire, isn't that funny? I think that idea is even more you know, extreme when you're talking about DMing and running a game, especially if you're not doing it in a setting you're used to, you have a lot of, I mean, you don't have to do it a lot. I mean, some people don't prep at all. I'm one of the people that obsesses over something really hard for like a few weeks and just like really builds like in this crazy in-depth world and stuff. And so I'm like researching term terminology they would use. I'm researching what kind, did they have plumbing? Did they have, when did electricity come around? Did they have fire? How much light did that really provide? How much, is it freezing at night? Is it hot at night? Like all these things, like they're royalty. They have the best of the best, but is the best in this era still you're freezing to death in the middle of winter because your house is made of stone? You know what I mean? It's like, so I try to, and then. One of my favorite, and it's, I've only I've only had the chance, the pleasure of playing it like four times, but starting to become one of my favorite games is Call of Cthulhu. And I run mine in the traditional, I've run it three times and I've played twice in the traditional 1920s era. That required a lot of research. Um, the, the book that they've 
that Chaosium, I think that's how you pronounce it, created, it has like a whole chapter dedicated to translations of money. This is how much this is worth now versus how much it would have been worth then. Uh, they have models of cars that were at the time, models of houses, pictures of houses, pictures of cars, different types of weapons, different types of tools. Uh, that book actually gives you a lot of a, a nice leg up trying to help, give you a chance to learn about the setting. Um, but I think that's true with any setting, whether you're playing a modern or uh, fantasy or science fiction, or I've always, I want to run a game that has a lot of pirates and things on ships. Like that would require me to, you know, really know what starboard means and to know how to know about sailing and, and stuff. Yeah. And the wheel and like all these terms that people might not necessarily know. So, I mean, it is some work, but to me, that stuff's kind of fun. Um, I'm a history buff, so to me, it's like really cool to learn yeah. about that kind of stuff and to put my mindset into a person living in that world. I mean, that's why I play Dungeons and Dragons. That's why I play tabletop games. I like, I like that. I like that creative outlet. Sure. I mean, I'm exactly the same, um, except with my DMing. I'm a kind of like wing it and note it down as you go, as you go, kind of guy. I kind of work backwards, um, but some people don't like that, and that's fine too. But you don't have to do all that kind of research if you're not, you know, interested in in doing that. Um, but I think at the very least you should think logically about what if you were in that character's shoes, how would you feel about certain things? Um, and they might not feel the same way that you do. Like um, medieval people, there seems to be quite a lot of evidence for um, quite enjoyed going to war. They saw it as a a chance to gain prestige or to uh, win things that kept him busy. <laughs> like the, yeah. And attitudes to death, life and death in general were different because life expectancy was lower and you were more likely to die doing anything even remotely physically strenuous. So your people were just like, well, you might as well go out with a bang sort of thing. And so, I mean, I'm not speaking universally, but there seems to be more evidence to suggest that, um, just people had different attitudes regarding death. I mean, if you think about how well attended public executions were as a form of public entertainment, they would draw really big crowds. It was like a big deal to go see yeah. somebody get get hanged or their head locked off or whatever. It was like a, a day at the races sort of thing. So, you know, trans <laughs> that is completely alien to most people's mindset, and rightly so, in, in the modern era. Uh, that would be considered barbaric, but that was you know, a legitimate form of free entertainment for people. And um, it reinforced the idea of this is what happens when you don't follow the rules. Yeah. And people, you know, people were genuinely like, this isn't, I'm not arguing in favor of, of, of social restrictions at all. I'm just saying that they, that's what their lives were. So they expected it. So it's not, you know, that's, if you're playing in that kind of, Thing. I mean, it's good to sort of have a rebellious character who's always standing up to authority, but you've got to accept that the majority of peasants, say, in that situation would be incredibly deferential because they have really no agency over their own lives. So if um, the Lord of the Manor decides he wants to beat you about a bit, there's not really you're probably not going to stand up to him because he could just kill you if you want. Yeah, and I think putting yourself in the actual mindset like really trying your best to put yourself in their mindset and think about think of them as real people like you were saying helps a lot and it, and it can be difficult but it's kind of as a dm it's kind of my one of my pet peeves 
and once again, I don't yell at my friends and tell them they're doing it wrong. But in my head, <laughs> I'm like, because they're not doing it wrong. They're having fun and I'm having, you know, it's it's what they prefer. But I don't know when I when I'm playing my characters in games, you might have noticed I go in, and I talk a lot anyways, but I go into like these long descriptions of what I'm doing. Like every turn, I feel like I narrate a lot and then always say something. And that's kind of like my style. And that's because I'm trying to I just got stabbed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah, hate yeah. it when it's like. Okay, four damage, your turn. Oh, oh well, yeah, no, next. I'm like, I'm usually like, oh, you know, Gabo reels back, like clutches his shoulder as he like sees where he sliced him. Then he angrily grabs his weapon and charge. Like, I, I try to think about what, and it might be a little extra sometimes, but I try to think about what, what it really be like. Or like your, one of your friends dies or a character in the story dies that's important and they just loot their body or move on to the next Yeah, Yeah, it's, so like, it's my best friend. You had like an elaborate backstory like, oh, about no. you grown right. up together. Well, I guess we'll go into the, <laughs> like, did we light the torches in the right order? It's like you didn't even grieve for the loss of your friend. I don't know. And I get like, not everyone wants to get that serious and maybe you don't want to like sit there and fake cry or whatever, but it's like sometimes you're, and especially if the DM is doing a super good job, like you're invested enough to where you really do feel yeah. sad, but like I'm running curse of Strahd and Irina's brother is Mark died. He got killed at his father's funeral in like the second or third session we had. It's like the beginning of the story. He's like a main character. That was a big deal. We had a funeral for him. I had to write a really emotional monologue, which it's, I was writing it as Irina and that's iron. You know, it's, it feels strange doing it. It might be awkward, but it really sold it. I play music really selling the mood. Um, takes a lot of prep, but like it, it works when you commit to it, I think. And that's hard to do is like to get into a character and, and really try to think like, I just got stabbed or I just saw someone get murdered or my friend just got killed or like, it's really hard to put yourself in that mindset. But I feel like when my friends do do that, cause I have had games where people really do invest a lot of stuff into that kind of thing. It's really emotional. Like my friend wrote like an obituary and stuff. When we did a funeral, we had a whole session where it was like a paying respects to one of our players characters that died after two years into a campaign. And that was part of the story. It was all done in character. And it was, it might be silly and it might not be what everybody likes, but I really, I really love that. That's, that's great. We sold it, you know, it like felt good. And now he's memorialized. He has like a statue in this town cause he helped save it. And the, we like got good with the mayor and stuff in greenest. And we were doing Horde of the dragon queen and like, it's, he's part of the world now. And if, uh, I don't know if you just invest a lot into, like you said, if they were real people, how would they actually respond? Or like, oh, we're going to get arrested. Like, let's kill all the guards. Probably not. Is that really what you would do? Yeah, exactly. hide or run away or not murder the guards. burn the tavern down. Escape without murdering. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think the tendency is, what they call it, murder hoboing or whatever. Because it's like, well, we're just being silly. Which is, you know, if that's how you want to play and that's how you, you know, if everybody's happy with that arrangement, then... Fine, that's you know no issue with that. Play the game how you want to play it. Um, but again, I think it comes down to largely it's it's giving yourself permission to look silly and to try things and to inhabit and to go into that character uh, and not be afraid to. I think there's a sort of like and I, I've been guilty of this, which is why I sort of like ducked away from the hobby for ten years or more. Is sort of degree of like nerd self-loathing about it like somehow it's um you're just you're being silly or immature to to um take 
take it that seriously sort of thing. But it's like, if you're playing the game in the first place, it's a role-playing game. You are playing a role. You are acting. And it's as simple as that. You know, if you are playing a role and you are acting, then act appropriately to the character that you're playing and don't just decide, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to go for the cheap laugh. But I mean, that's not to say that you can't. And I, you know, I'm certainly guilty of going for cheap laughs. Um, it has been known. Um, but I try and do that within the realms of plausibility for the character that I'm playing. Anyone that's watched any of our streams, anyone that's listened to roll for weird. And, and if you've ever checked out, you know, one shot onslaught or anything, you know, like comedy is a big part of, tabletop role-playing games we we definitely i mean we the two of us are talking about being all serious and stuff if you've ever seen any of our streams it's like a string of dick jokes <laughs> like but then we turn around and we're serious too we're serious uh, so, about being funny and we're serious so about the serious parts you know like yeah. we, we can play it straight and you should i think in in some instances play it straight it's a trade-off but what i was going to say is uh now that i've been running curse of Stroud lately and it's probably my favorite module i've read ever um i've really been focusing on the horror and i've really been focusing on keeping it serious and i've been really kind of like trying to make it like trying to commit to it so much with the music i'm finding like i will build a playlist and i have notes since like i'm really like at this point i will play this song when this happens i will play this song i've been writing monologues i've been really getting into things and it's because i really i want them to to get past the wall of like, Oh, if I'm too serious, it's going to be cheesy. I want them to be presented with a situation where they're like, they told me they're like, dude, that was like, I honestly was scared for a moment. Like it made me feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, that's good. I mean, not too much. Right. And they're like, no, no, it's good. I'm like, that's kind of what I want. Like I try, I describe it like in grotesque ways and really descriptive ways. I have like, like I said, like adding music. One time I turned all the lights off and lit candles when they were getting their tarot cards read uh, I like literally bought a pack of tarot cards and I like assigned instead of using the images from the book, I just like knew like, okay, this one is this one equals this card. This one equals this card. And I like read them that way. And I don't know. It's like those little things that if, as a DM, if I can put an extra, a little bit of extra work to get them to commit, I don't have to sit here and tell them, Hey, it'd be really cool if you guys played in a character more. Instead, I'm going to present them with a situation that allows them to truly be engaged and then truly feel like they want to get into character more yeah absolutely and i think as you as you correctly point out a lot of the responsibility for that does fall with the dm um because at the end of the, you know especially in particularly in dungeons and dragons and some other uh systems too the onus is on the dm to carry the narrative really um dms do all the legwork they play all the npcs they come up with all this you know even if you're playing from a, a pre-written module you know you still as dm have you know uh, you're the referee you have the the final say so and you have to have all this stuff in your mind um for the players to interact with and also i agree with your previous point where you're saying that Every player should DM at least once or twice, just because I think it it gives you that insight and um, the versatility to play different roles. And then when you do just go back to having to play um, just one character, it just seems a lot more straightforward. Um, but as I say, I, as a DM, it's up to you to, to a certain extent, um, give the players what they want from the game uh, and ensure that everybody's having a good time. 
Um, and if you are doing, if you are doing that and doing it well, then the players will invest more of themselves because they're enjoying themselves. But at the same time, as a you know, as a player, if you've created a character and you've it turns out you you don't like it very much. Engage probably first not place, going to be. You, you think your character sucks. <laughs> but I think another spin to put on that is maybe that there's not there's different narratives that you can tell than um, the the conquering hero striding like a colossus through the battlefield, knocking things left and right with every hit. Um, not everybody is the super powered mega brawler. Um, sometimes there are um, physically weaker characters or or whatever, like there's underdog stories that you can tell. There's different kinds of, um, you know, archetype. Not everybody is the, um, the alpha male destroyer of worlds or whatever, or the, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to fall into these kind of like, uh, fantasy tropes necessarily. Uh, as long as you're thinking about your character as a real person, again, to tie it back into what we've already talked about. I think you're more likely to um, have an appreciation for that um, outside of the mechanics of the game, just as a as a narrative um, point, uh, rather than having this min-maxed um, tank destroyer just strides about killing everything. Um, actually feeling a sense of impending dread. It's like, well... I nearly died after fighting like three kobolds, so uh, I'm not not sure about taking on this ogre, like that sort of thing. And maybe it makes you look for different potential ways of solving a problem than fighting. Or if you're in a, uh, to flip the script, say you're in some sort of courtly drama and you keep ballsy up charisma rolls, maybe you'll like look into, well, maybe if I snuck into the pantry and put some laxatives in the duchess's cream tarts that would get the same effect or you know whatever just sort of think laterally um and try and use you know use the abilities that your character does have um to to drive the plot forward because there's often you know as a player as much as you might think that the dm is um all-knowing and omnipotent and has foreseen every single possible circumstance most of the time we're just talking crap or you know, it's true. As much as I plan, I'm like, yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't foresee every single action that a player is going to take. And I like to reward players for doing things that I didn't expect. Um, yeah, if I can remember the given yeah, inspiration, and maybe, maybe someone comes up with a scenario that I'd never thought of. It's like, oh well, could I climb out of the window and shimmy around on a window ledge like Hitman or something like that? I mean, well, I'd never even thought of that, but yeah, sure, why not? Give me a. Give me a dex, give me an acrobatics roll, DC, whatever, whatever I deem appropriate. And then you go and do that. Yeah, we had a character, my friend is playing Macho Man Randy Savage, and he had to break someone out of a ship. And instead of going through and fighting down the levels like I planned, he swam under, climbed up the side, like Nat 20 punched a hole in like the side where there was already like a drain or something. And like just crawled his way in and then one of our friends just wild shaped flew in followed him in now they're in the the bowels of the ship and they rescue their friend and i'm like wow that like three floors worth of like people and interactions and sneaking and fighting and stuff just got completely avoided and that was fine it was awesome. yeah exactly was really- those, are, those are some of the most compelling moments in in role playing as far as i'm concerned when either you as a player and the party ha- like uh 
devise a really cool plan and uh you know you think right well we're gonna have you're gonna do this and then I, i'm gonna come in and start casting this spell and then so and so is gonna come from the left hand side and then and then you do it and it all pans out exactly how you planned it fantastic as a dm when you it's kind of like the opposite is true. You've planned for all these contingencies and then the players come up with something that you've never even in a million years thought of. And you go, well, shit, yeah, I guess that works. Um, because just like real life, people have blind spots, you know, and people will find exploits for things. If you try hard enough, you'll find a backdoor or you'll find... The peasant, peasant rail cannon. Yeah, exactly. You'll find, you'll find something. If you're ingenious enough and willing to look for it, you'll find something, you know, that the... the either the dm hasn't considered or not that i'm saying you should go around trying to break the game but this is this isn't really breaking the game this is just you know well this is an this is another possible angle and actually using your own um creativity and problem solving abilities as like a mental exercise to get around these obstacles that the dm puts in your way and seeing players do that shows me that they have the level engagement in what i've put together or and in their characters and their characters abilities that you know that's really rewarding because they've invested themselves enough to to be able to think like their character and then come up with something that I would never in a million years have dreamed of. Yeah, I I am I like combat in D anD D, but I I have I feel like there's stages of a D anD D player. Like you were saying, like at first you make this really straightforward, like tanky character, like maybe you don't use a voice. Um, it actually reminds me of a meme. There's a meme with Randall, Daniel Radcliffe, and it shows him as Harry Potter as like a twelve year old boy. And it says, like, your first D&D character. And then it shows it from this new movie called Guns Akimbo. And he's standing in an airport wearing nothing but a bathrobe. His hair is, like, matted and all crazy. He has guns that are literally bolted to his hands. And he <laughs> looks like he's insane. And it's, like, my my 20th D&D character. And it's just, like, it's you, you get to the point where it's not about min-maxing. It's not about this like optimal build it's just like what's fun or funny or entertaining or interesting yeah. or cool or it, it really gets to the point where it what's fun is fun you don't have to be the strongest person on the battlefield to have fun i love making bards and stuff because i i love the role play more than combat i do i really do and now especially with like roll for weird how many times do we go 30 minutes without rolling a die oh yeah we're just all bouncing off each other like to me the role playing conversation is why i stay i originally came for the fantasy and the combat but it, now i've grown into this like person that really wants the story and i really want the role play and i really want to play these interesting characters we are i mean i feel like we could talk for another yeah hour, probably could yeah short on time for this episode good news is Jerundu is not just a guest Jerundu is the permanent co-host so he and i will be hosting the show together for the foreseeable future and uh, on future episodes we will have someone that we will bring on and we will interview and it'll be the two of us uh probing these different content creators uh you know they're going to have something to do with dungeons and dragons or tabletop games and we'll have so many more exciting and interesting conversations in the future so that we can kind of help you improve your game at your own gaming table at home uh, but right before we go, Jerundu, is there anything else you wanted to add on this topic or just a last statement you want to leave our listeners with? I think the, really the main thing I want people to take away from this is that you are the most important thing about making a character memorable. Your willingness and confidence level to be able to say, I'm going to play something that isn't me or or is a reflection of me and I don't care if I look silly in doing it because... It isn't me doing these things. It's a role I'm acting. And to 
also take permission away to not always be necessarily always be like the the conquering hero and to play other roles within your party um but just most importantly you know have fun expressing yourself this is what keeps me coming back to the game um the opportunity to have that creative release and to keep telling stories to people and um that's why I want as many people in the world to do as possible because I find it incredibly satisfying and I hope that um, other people will too. I totally agree. Um, tabletop games, you know, and specifically D&D is far and beyond my favorite hobby I have. It has led me, it involves art and gaming and socializing with friends and uh, I've, you know, I've gotten to the point where I'm making podcasts and I'm doing streams and like it really is amazing and and i think if you like dungeons and dragons if you like tabletop role-playing games and this is to the listeners as much as i do don't let your fear of what other people might think hold you back um i know that's easier said than done but be your like be the character you imagined uh if you don't like voices don't do them but i i really urge you to give it a shot i really urge you to don't worry about what other people think because all they're going to think is how awesome that character is. And if they're laughing, it's because they, they love your character. They think it's great and they think it's funny, especially when you're sitting at a table with other people who have come to willingly play Dungeons and Dragons. It's not, you know, just try not to worry about that kind of stuff too much because at the end of the day, it's about you. It's about having fun and it's about finding a group of players you work well with and finding a DM you like and, and finding a chance to escape from the troubles of your life and have some fun with some friends. If you're laughing a lot, you're doing a good job. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. What kind of things are important to you when you're playing a character? Do you like to focus on roleplay, or are you more of the battle expert type? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to Dice Talk Pod. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com where you can check out all of the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to DiceTalkShow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and to get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show and really is the best way that you can support us. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. Majestic Goose Podcast. Honk.